Fasten your seatbelt. I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Forget him, kid. To infinity and beyond! It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. So you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me, and my natural response could be to get offended. Well, fine, let's talk about it. Any thoughts of, of your own on this matter? But you, is that your thing? You come into a bar, you read some obscure passage, and then pretend you, you pawn it off as your own idea just to impress some girls? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. I wanted to tell people about this podcast, but everybody I've told about it is dead. So I, I, don't, know, I don't know if I should share with anybody. The origin story of the 30-something movie podcast was, and the Pelican Brief are remarkably similar. I was afraid to start my car this morning. How are you guys doing? It's a 30-something movie podcast. Hey, everybody. Hi, hey, John. John. We have myself, John Reed, is your host, and with me, as always, Patrick Canigallo, Bo Warmbold. Pat, how are you doing? Great, John. Good. Bo, how are you doing? Hanging in there. How about you, All Patrick? Right. Doing fine. See, it's like when the, when the kids leave school, I follow after. I know you you have to stay there, so, you know, it's kind of... I'm doing fine. We're all fine here. <laughs> We're now. all fine here. Thanks. Yeah. Whereas Bo and I are so. still in the boat and getting closer and closer to the propellers. Yes. We yeah. need a bigger boat. I've decided. But your soul is not prepared. Or is your soul prepared? I don't know. Do you? We're not taking the boat. I've got something better than a boat. Oh. We're not getting on the hey, boat? Spe- <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Forget the boat, Dad. <laughs> I'm excited for that movie. I don't care what anyone says. I can't wait for that one. Right. And yeah. And speaking of boats and uh, drummers, no, speaking of boats, I heard that Lego is coming out with a Jaws set. Oh, are they really? With the, Ooh. with the shark, the orca, the boat named the orca yeah, yeah. and Cooper, Quint and uh, Sheriff Brody as the figures. Nice. Oh, that's cool. Well, now we know. Yeah, what, now, now we know what to get Jeff for his birthday. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I'm. I'm excited about the. I, I'm not hearing great things about the Indiana Jones movie, but I'm just. I'm looking at it, and every time I see the trailers, I just go, you know what? I just hope it's not really, really terrible. If it's not really, really terrible, I'm going to be totally fine. Because exactly, I'm just, just going to go watch it, have fun. Even the. I'll even say this. And I haven't had a chance to, to talk with Jeff since I know he was rewatching it the other day. Even Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, like there are, mm-hmm. I can still watch that movie and enjoy it. Yeah. Is it currently the worst of the Indiana Jones movies? Oh, yeah. But it's still an Indiana Jones movie, and I can still watch it and I can still enjoy it. In the same mm-hmm. way, I can still watch and enjoy Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Because it is Attack of the Clones is the worst of the eight Star Wars movies. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, it's my understanding there would be no math in the 
numbering, exactly. numbering of the saga films. The other one I'm excited about, and I'm I'm about ready to go buy my tickets for, is The Flash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I no. keep I keep hearing there are even some possible secret cameos of other superheroes or people that have not even been leaked yet. So just the fact that we get to see Michael Keaton Batman again and and Michael Shannon back as Zod again and, and all kinds of other stuff. I'm just like, yep, nope, sign me up. That's very cool. I'm I'm up for that. That's very cool. Can't wait to hear that whole thing. The one I would like to go see in the theaters, I don't know if it's going to happen or not, just kind of depending on timing and everything, is it's already out, the Into the Spider, or not Into the Spider-Verse, is it Across the Spider-Verse? Yeah. I yeah. Can't, can't remember what the new one is called. I think it's Across the Spider-Verse. Yeah. Yeah. But the, that one's, that um, one looks good. And that one actually features, I was a little concerned because in the trailer it looks like he's a villain, but the Spider-Man 2099, the Spider-Man from the future, like that was one of my favorite Spider-Man costumes when I was a kid, when I would read the comics. I was like, okay, this is cool. Like a future Spider-Man, he's kind of high tech and his costume's a little different. And I always loved the Spider-Man 2099 costume and I, I had those comics. And so just the fact that that one features heavily in this movie, I'm like, okay, I, I would love to go see this in the theater. Yeah. Dominic went with some friends the other night. Oh, he yeah. came back and yeah, he said it was awesome. Yeah. He said it was awesome. We watched, we watched into the spider verse as a family. Okay. I was going to ask and if you seen the first one. Yeah. I, it's yeah. been a while. Like he's like, yeah, I got to brush up on it before I yeah. go get to it. But yeah, he was like, yes, yeah, it's incredible. So, and Spider-Man's his guy. Like he's decided Spider-Man is his, uh, okay. is his guy. So we, we, we just finished no way home. And, yeah. and now he's just like, wow, I really got to go back and watch the amazing, all the other Spider-Man movies. I'm oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah you kind of do. Cause you'll like them all. Like if you, yeah. you know, so he's, he's all things Spider-Man. Okay. Um, and he's, and he, he said, okay. So he, when, when he saw no way home, he had not seen the other Spider-Man movies. He had not. Okay. Cause I told, I tried to tell him, I'm like, we should probably watch these five movies first. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, dad, I, I get it. And he's like, I, I kind of want to watch. And I'm like, you know what? Don't worry about it. It, The awesome will still hit you. Oh yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And he was, and it was funny because yeah, that no way home, what they do with that. And hopefully all our viewers are like spoiler and no, we spoil and all that kind of stuff. But I am still, I still get goosebumps and the little misty eyes when the portal opens and they call for Peter Parker and then the others walk through. And I could just only imagine what it was like in the theater, you know, and I'm sure people like, new spoilers and new and all that kind of stuff. But man, if you kept yourself totally above the fray of the spoilers oh, yeah. and suddenly you see what they're doing, I'm just like, that is so cool. We went to go you see that. We saw that in the theater and, you know, <laughs> towards the end when they're teaming up together then. And yeah. like I, there was, I actually, I felt like I wanted to go complain to the manager because there was a lot of dust in that theater. Yeah. That's, that's, that happens. Yeah. That happens. I mean, and just the way that they let those guys, let Bartlett be Bartlett, yeah. right? Like they let those guys where he's just like, no, 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 guys, we got to work together. We got to work together. Look, I don't want to brag. I'm, I'm part of the Avengers. You're in a band? No, I, <laughs> I mean, just the yeah. way they, the way they do it. He's like, man, just the way they, it, they buck each other up, the yeah. way they, they cross over and uh, it, the whole thing is just so cool. Anyways, yeah. Dominic's favorite guy is Spider-Man. Okay. And he went and saw Spider across the Spider Verse, and he is just like he he was just raving about it. He said it's amazing, and very cool. He wants to take the family, and he's excited because now there's five more Spider Man movies that he can watch. And yeah. I mean, 
it's uh, yeah he had rave reviews for across the spider-verse nice nice has he so here's another question and i don't remember you might have to remind me what video game systems you have has he ever played any of the spider-man games we have just a switch okay no, I don't think so, because I think the last time we did Vintage Game Day and I pulled out the Genesis and we mm-hmm. played Maximum Carnage, I don't know if he was into that, but he loves Venom as well. All like, right. he loves, he's seen Venom. I don't think we've seen Venom 2 yet, but he has watched Venom. Okay. So, yeah, it's like everything Spider-Man, he's just all about. Okay. So, if you've got any recommendations for any Nintendo Switch Spider-Man games, if there are any. Okay. I, I think there are some for the Switch. My recommendation is not going to help you at all because... Buy, I, buy a PlayStation 5. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because we, we have a PlayStation 4, and they both of the games are on the PlayStation 4. So I, if, you, if you find a PlayStation 4, like at a garage sale somewhere or, or at a discount price, you could always do that. Mm-hmm. The Spider-Man games, there's a Spider-Man and a Spider-Man Miles Morales game. Both of those games on the PlayStation, I don't care if you get a 4 or a 5. 5, okay. you know, it'll look prettier on a 5, but on the 4, it's still amazing. Both of those games are so good. Okay. And Nora fell in love with both of them. Like, she loved okay. She spent a long time playing those games. And the best part about those games, like with a lot of the other older Spider-Man games, is you don't really have to follow the story if you don't want to. You can just swing around the city and do other stuff. That, so it's like open world game kind it of is, thing. It is an open world, but I mean the story is also really good, and the the, I mean, the okay. whole the whole game itself. And then the second one introduces Miles Morales as the Spider okay. as, as the playable Spider Man. So they are cool. both outstanding games. Like I would, That's awesome. because my kids tend to steal the PlayStation, and I don't ever get to play on it. I I always mm-hmm. hesitate to buy myself any games, but if I was right. going to go buy two games we checked them out from the library and we just kept doing that because they were always available but i actually i think we bought nora the first one but either way if i was going to spend full price on a video game i would do the two spider-man games for the playstation okay yeah they are outstanding well we'll, so if you if you know like if you if you know any friends or if you've got a, a if you go by a garage sale somewhere and they're selling a uh PlayStation 4 that's still working and everything else, I'd say Spider-Man, grab, yeah, grab cool. those two games because they are, especially if he's a big Spider-Man fan, I, he would love those games. Awesome. And and awesome. and Dad Kanagawa would love those games too. That's right, man. Yeah. That's right. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, we'll, we'll endeavor to check those out. Yeah. All right. Well, we are not here to talk about spiders. We're here to talk about pelicans. This episode is for the 1993 movie The Pelican Brief. Starring Denzel Washington and Julia Roberts. We've already spoiled a little bit, so we can just tell you, yeah, we spoil, so be careful. If, you, if we start to talk about a movie you don't want to hear about, maybe just hit that little 10-second uh, forward button a couple of times, and mm-hmm. we'll probably be done talking by then. Make sure you visit our website, 30podcast.com. You can leave a rating for us. You can leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you. You can become one of our co-executive producers via Patreon on there. We have got a bunch of bonus content on there, easily over, what, 30 three i think at this point 33 34 full-length bonus episodes on there for for other movies and then we've got a bunch of patreon shorts that we do on there which are quick little like 10 to 15 minute reviews of movies so there is a ton of stuff over there and then there's also options where depending on what tier you 
join in over there on, you get an opportunity to say, you know, I'd love to come on a show and talk with you, or here are some movies I'd love for you guys to talk about, and then we will talk about those movies. So there's a ton of good stuff over there, and it's it's just it's a great way to kind of help give back to the show. If you've been enjoying the show, if you want to help out the show, continue to you know, to, to help cover some of those costs of producing the show, then that is a great way to do that. If you're not able to, because not everybody's able to do that financially, then just tell tell a friend. Tell somebody about the show that you think might enjoy it, who enjoys 80s and 90s movies or any of the other stuff we end up talking about. We're, we're kind of nerdy guys, so if you got nerdy friends, you know, we, we, tend to, we tend to blend in pretty well with that. We can blend into the scenery with the best of them. Oh, yeah, you blend. All right, so we'll go ahead and dive right on into this one. We've got, we kind of break the show up into some little segments here. We start off with the trivia pursuits. We tell you a little bit about the movie we're talking about. Then we jump into, we give you some trivia stuff as well. We cover kind of the cast and crew information. We do a, we'll give you a synopsis. We'll go through kind of the major moments. We try to kind of divide the movie up into 10 or so pivotal moments in the plot. So if you haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a while, we kind of walk through that for you uh, just so you're up to speed. And then we go into our deeper thoughts and we talk a little bit more about our opinions on it. And then from there, we ended off with three questions, which are three sometimes loosely related questions to the movie. So related in spirit, we'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, the trivia pursuits we're going to start off with this time is, this is the Pelican Brief. It came out on the 17th of December, 1993, rated PG-13. It was two hours and 21 minutes, directed by Alan J. Pecula, who did All the President's Men and Clute. Writers for this one were Alan J. Pecula and John Grisham, who wrote the novel, did Presumed Innocent and The Devil's Own. Producers were Alan J. Pecula and Peter Jan Brugge, who did Clute and The Devil's Own. Composer was James Horner, did Titanic and Braveheart. Cinematographer was Stephen Goldblatt, he did The Help and Angels in America. Editor was Tom Rolfe, he did Taxi Driver and The Right Stuff, and here he plays a mean piano too, and he's got floppy mm-hmm. ears. Production company was Warner Brothers Pictures. Budget was $45 million. box office was $195.3 million. Cinema score is a B+, and Flick Metrics gives it a 58%. Julia Roberts played Darby Shaw. She was in Pretty Woman and Aaron Brockovich, which, oddly enough, will be a very similar movie to this one, a little bit of a a legal thriller. Denzel Washington plays Gray Grantham. He was in Training Day and Malcolm X. Sam Shepard was Thomas Callahan, who's in The Right Stuff and Black Hawk Down. John Hurd is Gavin Verique. He was in Home Alone and Big. Tony Goldwyn was Fletcher Cole. He was in Ghost and The Last Samurai. James Saking was FBI Director Denton Voiles. He was in The Hunt for Red October and Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. William Atherton was Bob Gminski. He was in Die Hard and Ghostbusters. Robert Culp was the president. He was in The Greatest American Hero, the TV series, and Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. Stanley Tucci was Kamel. He was in The Devil Wears Prada and Big Night. Hume Cronin, who died in 2003, played Justice Rosenberg. He was in Cocoon and Batteries Not Included. John Lithgow played Smith Keen. He was in Shrek and Terms of Endearment. Anthony Heald played Marty Velmano. He was in Silence of the Lambs and Red Dragon. Jake Weber was Curtis Morgan. He was Dawn of the Dead and The Cell. Stanley Anderson was Edwin Sneller. He was in Spider-Man and Armageddon. Cynthia Nixon was Alice Stark. She was in the TV series Sex and the City and Little Manhattan. And John Finn played Matthew Barr. He was in Catch Me If You Can and The Hunted. 
couple of trivia things I've got for us here. For some of the scenes inside the White House, they had reused the sets for the movie Dave, which came out in the same year. So so supposedly, I, I guess you could say maybe this is part of the Dave cinematic universe. Oh, of course, easily. Yeah. John Grisham campaigned to get Julia Roberts the role of Darby Shaw, and he wrote the part with her in mind. So that was kind of cool. Sometimes you hear about that, Mm -hmm. like writers have somebody in mind, and then when it comes time to make the movie, they're like, yep, that's the person we need, and that's the person they get. So I always feel good for a writer when that happens. The president's cardigan sweater in the film is based on a real-life incident when Jimmy Carter addressed the nation wearing a cardigan during fuel shortages in the 1970s. Okay. That that part was kind of funny. A little bit of a Mr. Rogers vibe going on there. Director Alan J. Pecula played a prank on Julie Roberts and Lyle Lovett by having Lovett provide the voice of John Hurd's character in a phone scene. Um, the, the two of them were married. So, In the source novel, Darby and Gray become lovers, but Denzel Washington disagreed with an interracial romance in the film as he felt audiences might not want to see that. So, hmm. so That did not happen. Natural Born Killers. So the Pelican Brief inherited the Panavision E-Series anamorphic lenses that they used for their cameras after the Natural Born Killers, after the director, Oliver Stone, decided to shoot in a different aspect ratio. So (laughs) Pelican Brief got their leftovers. And then James Horner, he is, he's not, we've talked about this before, he's kind of known for reusing some different themes. So there is a kind of the, the bank par- parking garage scene in the Pelican Brief is reused again in Apollo 13. And there were several different times where I felt like as I'm, I, and I feel like it was maybe the, the parking garage scene, I felt like I also heard a little bit of, I, I was listening to it and I was like, okay, that's, that either sounds, there's a couple little things here that either sound like aliens or Star Trek or something. And what we've talked about. Yeah, yeah, there's certain, like there was a certain thing that I didn't even know who did the music, but then all of a sudden, like there was a chord progression or there was this like uprising kind of like, I think it was just these chords that would ascend and it mm-hmm. very much had the signature of James Horner. I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, uh, let's see. What else? Oh, so apparently this is part of The Firm, which we're going to talk about this year as well. The Firm Cinematic Universe, the fictional character of FBI director Denton Voiles, who appears in this movie, also appears in the John Grisham adaptation, The Firm. He is portrayed by actor Stephen Hill in that one. And that'll be another okay. one that is 93. So we'll be doing that this year as well. There you go. All right, got the, let's do a quick synopsis for you in the style of one of our favorite voiceover artists, Don LaFontaine. In a world where power and corruption intertwine, one law student uncovers a deadly secret. From the shadows of Washington, D.C., a sinister plot emerges. Now, with her life in peril, she holds the key to a conspiracy that reaches the highest levels of government. Julia Roberts and Denzel Washington star in a heart-pounding thriller that will keep you on the edge of your seat. As danger lurks around every corner, will she survive long enough to expose the truth in The Pelican Brief? From the best-selling thriller by John Grisham, author of The Firm and The Client. From Alan J. Pakula, director of All the President's Men, and presumed innocent. 
Julia Roberts, Denzel Washington, the Supreme Court of the United States, our ultimate symbol of law and order. But in a single night, two of its justices will be brutally assassinated. A thousand miles away in New Orleans, a lone law student has pieced together who did the killings and why, and created a document that has become known in the corridors of power as the Pelican Brief. Now, she has become a target, and the only person she can trust is an investigative journalist. Everyone I've told about the brief is dead. If this thing reaches as deep and goes as high as we think it does, these men will do anything not to be exposed. Julia Roberts, Denzel Washington, The Pelican Brief. Some major moments for this one. We've broken it up into about 10 that'll help us kind of walk through the plot real quick. So major moment number one, the Tulane University law student Darby Shaw writes a legal brief theorizing the motive behind the assassinations of two Supreme Court justices, Jensen and Rosenberg. Second, Darby shares her brief with her law professor and lover, Thomas Callahan, who passes a copy to his friend Gavin Verheek, special counsel to the FBI director. Callahan is killed by a car bomb, but Darby narrowly escapes a similar fate, realizing her brief was accurate. She goes into hiding and contacts Verheek for help. Darby and Verheek are independently contacted by an informant named Garcia, who disappears. Darby also reaches out to Washington Herald reporter Gray Grantham, who verifies her information. Darby's computer and files go missing. She is attacked at her hiding place, but manages to escape unharmed. Darby agrees to meet Verheek, but Kamel, an assassin, kills Verheek and impersonates him before Kamel could harm Darby, an unknown person shoots and kills him. In New York City, Darby meets Grantham and shares her theory that the assassinations were orchestrated by oil tycoon Victor Matisse, who wants to exploit oil reserves in Louisiana marshland. The murdered justices had differing opinions on environmental protections, and Matisse hopes to influence the Supreme Court's upcoming decision on his drilling rights appeal. Darby discovers that Garcia is Curtis Morgan, a lawyer from a law firm connected to Matisse. Morgan is killed. Darby retrieves incriminating evidence from his safe deposit box. And then finally Grantham publishes the story, exposing Matisse's involvement, leading to indictments, political consequences, and Darby entering the witness protection program and enjoying life on the beach from here on out. All right. I think I, probably, I covered pretty much the, the major beats of this one. Yeah, that sounds mm-hmm. like it. All right. Let's go a little deeper. Let's go deeper into the conspiracy. And now, Deep Thoughts. I have an opinion on this matter. Don't mince words, Bones. What do you really think? I like it a lot. Wow. It's, it's very deep. Thank you. First questions. When was the first time you saw this? And do you, we'll just right off the bat, do you like this movie? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Okay. When was the first time you saw it? 
right around when it came out, probably when it hit HBO or, or something okay. like that. I I had read, I don't know if I read this Grisham, but I'd read a couple. And okay. so I was intrigued enough to see it at the time. Don't think I saw it in the theater, though. So it would have been you know, HBO or rental or something like that. Okay. This was, I like this one. I, too, have read a bunch of John Grisham novels kind of back in the day, but this is the first time that I've seen this movie. Oh, okay. And I don't know, I don't know that this was one of the novels that of his that I read. Okay. To be completely honest. So, okay. But I, but I liked it, but this was the first time I'd seen it. Okay. Yeah, for me, I don't remember the first time I saw it. I, I would say it's probably, I would say maybe high school, there was probably a stretch of time where I'd, I'd say maybe like late, mid to late 90s. You know, I, I've pretty much always enjoyed Julia Roberts movies, Denzel, especially after watching Fallen and a couple of his other movies. I'm like, all right, let's let's watch more of this guy. And so then I, I there was probably a stretch of time where, because I know during high school, a lot of times I would I would like, I'd pick an actor or I'd pick a couple of actors and be like, okay, I am for the next few weeks, I am going to watch as many movies as I can get my hands on by this actor. And so there would be, I'd, I'd go for like a stretch of three or four weeks where I would watch a bunch of John Travolta movies after seeing Pulp Fiction. Or I'd go for several weeks and I'd watch a bunch of Richard Gere movies. Or I'd watch Denzel Washington movies or Uma Thurman movies or whatever. But so I, this was probably in one of those stretches where I was like, okay, all right. Well, I, I haven't read any of John Grisham books. I tend to like the movie adaptations, the ones I've seen. So, and it's got Denzel and Julia Roberts. So let's watch it. So it probably was like mid to late nineties. First time I saw it. And yeah, I, I remember enjoying it, like watching it this time. So this is probably the second or third time I've seen this one. And I would say it's watching it this time with a little bit more of a, a critical eye than I probably did in the past. And there are a few things, few things story-wise, that I was just like, eh, I, I mean that that that's a little paper thin for me, but it doesn't mean I don't enjoy the movie. But there's just a few little things here and there story-wise that I'm kind of like, eh, that that could have been shored up just a tad, maybe. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, in terms of the performances, the characters, the writing, the everything else, you know, definitely solid movie. One thing I was trying to think about as I was watching this movie is when did we and I want to see I want to see what you guys think. When do you feel like movies started in earnest to really distrust the government? Like can you think of a time like as we've been we've we've been watching movies for this podcast for the last 7 years or so and I feel like we're starting to get to I feel like we're kind of starting to get to the beginning of the, yeah, we really don't trust the government, or there's so much corruption that we don't even know about. I, I feel like, and, and maybe I'm just not remembering things correctly, I feel like we're kind of hitting the, the beginnings of that. Like, not that we haven't had a couple maybe up to this point, but I feel like we're going to get a lot more as we go through the 90s. Yeah, I think so, too. I can think of a few just off the top of my head that are coming up. There's always been some of that, but I think... We're, we're hitting the, we're starting to hit the information age when mm-hmm. things were easier to discover and it was harder to keep secrets secret. And I feel like that has a little to do with it. I think we're, 
we're more aware of scandal in the real world. So it comes out more in art as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was going to say McCarthyism of the fifties, but I think that wasn't exactly the question you were asking. Yeah. It's interesting because I think it seems like there was definitely in the eighties and then into the nineties, it was like, there was a lot of, we don't trust the military kind of thing. Right. Right. Like the abyss, it was the military guys were the ones that cracked. Right. Right. You had a lot of the war movies were things like platoon where it showed people cracking and, and, right. yeah. and, and that was a jaunt of it. Even the, the quote unquote fun action movies, like if they involved like the police, like think of like lethal weapon or die hard, right? Like we don't trust the FBI guys. We don't trust the big higher ups. It's always, we kind of trust a little bit more of the gunslinger kind of guy on his own type thing, yeah. right? Like that seemed to be the big piece in the movies. I mean, even like I was talking, we were talking about E.T. the other day. We were talking about the soundtrack to E.T., which shout out for the soundtrack show. It's Epic Return with the three-part E.T. music. Was I know. Awesome. I, I haven't had a chance to go listen to it yet. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. That being said, in that movie, we don't trust, we don't trust the adults, right? We don't trust the and, – and David W. Collins had a great way of saying it. You know, we don't trust the – they mean well, but they're still scary nonetheless adults, right? Mm-hmm. And that seemed to kind of be the thing of the 80s. And now, yeah, like I, it's, I think it's right about now where suddenly it's the conspiracy theories and they're after you. And, you know, I think a lot of the John Grisham novels are always about, not even about government, but it's about big, big businesses, Right. Like that's kind of the thing. And I know we're going to get into Aaron Brockovich and it's going to be, it, it's, it's sort of like now the shift is away from the, like the upper law enforcement or the military and all that in the movies that seem to be the, the antagonist. And it shifts to, if not government, then like the, the corporations taking over things that seems to be happening now. Right. Like you mentioned, Aaron Brockovich, this and I might be wrong, but a lot of the John Grisham novels are centered around fighting the blank industry, right? Mm-hmm. The tobacco industry. The uh, now I'm drawing a blank, but do you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. am I right yeah. on that? Like, a lot, so I'm, I'm kind of rambling on, but yeah, if it's not government, then it's like the big corporation, the big faceless, you know, almost like it's almost like the big brother kind of thing yeah you know i guess i'm i'm thinking in particular because it just seems it seems so heavy in the 90s when you start getting yeah. a bunch of movies in the 90s like well oh clinton well yeah i mean because i, I, I was mean, looking at some colors and all of that I, I, mean, I was looking at some polls that they did of trust in the government and you can see that there is it's things are starting to dip in the late 80s early 90s and i think it hits its low point in 94 and then mm-hmm. we have a a jump back up in 2000 2001 and then mm-hmm. it's i think it it's 
pretty much a steady decline from 2001 until now. But yeah, mm-hmm. 94 was other than other than kind of where we're at now. It looks like from these polls that they did, you know, over the course of many years, it looks like it looks like 94 was probably about the low point. So a lot of these movies we're talking about now were getting made in 92, 93, so we're around that time. And just thinking about some of the movies that come out in the 90s, we've got The X-Files, we've got Wag the Dog, we've got, the I think, the Nixon movie. Was it the one with Anthony Hopkins came out in the 90s? You know, I, and I don't want to ignore the fact that there are a bunch of them from the 60s and 70s, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got the original Manchurian Candidate, I think was mid-60s, maybe? I think so. You've got Dr. Strangelove is 60s. You've got the Parallax View, which actually was done by this same, by Pecula, the same director. That's mm-hmm. another kind of government conspiracy. There's another assassination of a, I think it's of a presidential candidate and a journalist investigating the whole thing. So, I mean, you've got, you get that. What else? I'm trying to think of other movies. What's the Gene Hackman one that was from the, oh, The Conversation. I think it's from the 70s. Mm-hmm. So you've got a bunch. Men. So I, th- I feel like the 70s may have been like when you first really start to get some anti-government stuff in there. But it, it pretty much looms large in the 90s, too. Mm-hmm. So. so what is it for this movie? We'll, we'll do both sides. What, we'll, we'll start with this. What doesn't work for you in this movie? And, and don't worry, we'll get to the what does work here in a second. But is there anything that does not work for you in this movie? I I struggle with the, the I think it's their first, yeah, I feel like it's their first meeting. Like, they go from not trusting each other to trusting each other way too fast. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just some... I, and part of it is knowing that it was based on a book. I feel like there's more in the book that makes it all make sense, but they're trying to convey it all with looks and glances and body language. And it just doesn't, Sure, you know, mm-hmm. and some of it's expediency. I know there's only, you only have two hours and right. you got to tell the story, but it, it happens a few times in this. There's some leaps that you're just like, okay, mm-hmm. really? And I don't know if they spend enough time in some of, I think another thing they do, and I'm not saying the movie needed to be longer. I'm just saying there were some moments maybe where they could have trimmed it differently. Like, I don't know that they spend enough time with the, oh crap, people keep dying. Like Mm -hmm. everyone seems very gung ho, even though people keep dying. Right. So I think those are the, Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, I some of the moments, like I feel like, and and maybe I just missed something, but I feel like when when Kamal is about to kill her out in public, and suddenly he's shot and killed, I feel like the finding out who actually did that, like who saved her life, and the fact that there were other people following her, you did see that a little bit here and there that there were other people following her but you didn't know that they were following her as protectors 
and I feel like that doesn't get revealed until like the very almost like they forgot about it. And at the end of the movie, they're like, "Oh yeah, right. by, oh yeah." By the way, you remember how that one guy got shot? Well, that wasn't him. That was actually our other people that have been watching you and protecting you and blah blah blah. Like some of that, I was like, nah, "That just feels like an afterthought." Mm-hmm. Like I feel like there's a there's a line of dialogue or there's something that you could have done. Even you don't have to show her as the character, but at least show the audience. Maybe maybe there's a way that that could have been done to show that. You know, it. I, I think you could still uphold the idea of the political legal thriller and be concerned for her because it seems like everyone is out to get her and anyone could pop around any corner and want to try to shoot her. Like that sense of dread and paranoia. I think you could still do it by showing that, yeah, there are people that are out there that know about this that are actually trying to keep her safe as well. Because mm-hmm. there's no guarantee that they're, they're human. There's no guarantee that they're going to absolutely keep her safe. I think you can still keep that suspense, but say, right. but say, oh, yeah, the reason that this guy got randomly shot in the courtyard or wherever they were when he was about to shoot her is because they've got people trying to also watch out for her. I think you could have done that. That, that, was, that was probably one of my only knocks on the movie. You know, otherwise a couple little blips here and there in terms of the the story or maybe the pacing of some of it. But other than that, I think the rest of it is pretty solid. It just, that was one thing in particular that kind of, I, I, to use Jeff's phrase, I I bumped on that just a little bit because I was like, I just, it feels like the reveal of who shot Kamal and, and, and why and all that feels like it was like, Oh crap, the movie's almost over. We need to tell the audience this real quick. Mm -hmm. What about you, Pat? You, and you said you've read the book. No, I, that's, this is one of the oh, books I have not, not read. Okay. Okay. And so, but which actually is, is good that you bring that up. Cause that's what I was going to say is I, I don't know that if I have, I, I don't know that I have everything that I bumped on. I hear what you're yeah. saying. And I was just going to say, maybe upon reading the book, I might fall into the, wow, man, why couldn't they put this in? Why couldn't they put this in? Why couldn't they make it a six hour movie and really tell the story like it was in the book? Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder if a lot of, a lot of what we're talking about was maybe just there was only so much of the book that they could bring into a movie and we're getting, we're falling into the old situation of, Hey, it's, it's just not as good as the book. Right. Which again, I haven't read the book, so I'm not a hundred percent sure, but right. Right. Well, and I will say too, I think of, of the, and like I said, I've never, I haven't read any of his books, but of oh, okay. the of the books of his that have been turned into movies that I can think of off the top of my head, you know, I'm, this is probably, I mean, the other ones that I've seen are, are probably higher on my list of, of mm-hmm. favorites of his. You know, I, I think of, I think of The Firm, I think of The Runaway Jury, I think of... Uh, the client, time to kill, some of those movies, and I, this one, I think there are things that I enjoy about those a little bit more than I do this one. Again, not that this is a bad movie, but mm-hmm. I think there might be a little bit more action to those as well, and I think I, I maybe enjoy that a little bit more. Yeah, this one's this one's more a drama, where some of the others are more thrillers, maybe. Right. This one's a, a That's little. That's not bit... to say people don't die and get shot in this one, but right. This one's a little bit different. more. This is a little bit more quiet paranoia. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is fine. Like I'm not I'm not saying that's a 
that's totally. a thing. But like when compared with the other ones, I'm like, I I think I tend to enjoy the ones that have a little bit more of the action thriller piece to them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Well, and and then the other part too, and and it may be just because she's she's a mature, a more mature actor by the time it gets to this point, is in terms of like the the legal thriller, legal drama side of things. I'm watching this and I'm going, I, I'm watching this. I'm like, I, I enjoy Julie Roberts and her performance in this movie was fine, but I'm watching this movie and I'm going, man, I haven't seen Aaron Brockovich in a while. I want to watch that. <laughs> and again, that's not, that's not necessarily a knock on this movie. That's just me going, okay, this movie's good, but I remember really enjoying that movie and I, I actually want to go watch that now. So it did right. kind of, it did, it did pull me a little bit away from this movie. Cause I kept thinking, yeah, I got to remember to watch that one soon. Mm-hmm. So, what did you yes. enjoy about this movie? So, other in the take it or leave it, this is the stuff you could take. What does this movie do, do right? Well, there was a suspense piece to it. It kept you going, and I mean, it was it was definitely like, okay, she's gonna get. Oh shoot, they got him. Okay, now she can connect with this. Oh, nope, they got him too. All right, well, this guy. She, oh nope, they got him. Mm-hmm. Nope, you, you know, like. So they kept it going along, and I mean, Denzel Washington and is amazing, as is like everybody else cast in this movie. And he and Julia Roberts really had some great chemistry. It was, it was, they were great together. So I really, that's that's really what worked. Yeah, for me. Yeah, I agree. They, the two of them are what make the movie, and then. The other stuff takes you along for the ride. Yeah, I, I do enjoy a good journalist character, having been almost a professional journalist myself. I do enjoy a good mm-hmm. journalist character. So anytime you've got somebody digging around and, and investigating and, and whatnot, always a fan of that. So and, and fun to see. I Pretty much, I would say the, the thing this movie does right, where I, I don't think you can fault it in any way, is casting. Like the, the people that are in this movie, Denzel is great. Julia Roberts is great. Everybody else is great. Love in me their some parts. Stanley Tucci. Stanley Tucci is creepy. Mm-hmm. Like in this in this movie, I don't. I'm trying to think of other movies where I've seen him where he's like evil or creepy, and I I can't off the top of my head. I couldn't think of any. I'm like, yeah, he's dude's kind of scary in this one. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's scary for different reasons in the Hunger Games. I think it's mostly his bright white teeth, but you know, in, in this movie, yeah. yeah, that's a different kind of scary. But yeah, casting—that's I think that's what this movie does well—is—is is casting and the sense of loneliness and desperation and paranoia. Yeah. Because you really truly get the sense that you—that's how she feels. She feels, and that's how the audience is being made to feel. Is like there's she can't trust anybody. Like right. she, she doesn't even know if she can trust this this gray guy. That for all she knows, the one guy she thought she could trust because he was friends, best friends with her professor and lover, turned out to be the killer, or one of the killers. And so she doesn't even know who she can trust in this. And I think as the audience, we have information being kept from us so that we have that same feeling and it feels to us a little claustrophobic. Exactly. Exactly. The only thing I missed 
was I wanted the FBI director to, I wanted there to be some kind of alarm going off and I wanted him to stand there and look around and just be like, Bridge, this is the captain. How can you have a yellow alert in space, Doc? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I, I wanted yep. that, but, you know, we we can't we can't get everything we want. Right. So. Always leave the audience wanting more. Yes. And I did. I, I wanted more. I wanted I wanted more Captain Styles. All right. Do we have anything else before we get to three questions? Anything else we want to say about the Pelican Brief? No, I, I think it was it was it was a fun movie. It was drama, it was suspenseful. If you like John Grisham novels and the adaptations to movies, I think it's worth a watch. Even if you don't read those books, I think it's worth a watch. Great acting. And yeah, yeah. And, I think it's and, and really you, good, and you really were good stuff. were you the one commenting earlier that this is like movie three of three for Denzel for this year? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, that's, that's the thing. It's like, he's come out like in just three amazing movies that this guy has been in mm-hmm. and just done a fantastic job. I know that we will not, I know saying, Hey, Denzel Washington's a really talented actor is not putting us <laughs> on the yeah. cutting edge of movie podcasting. I mean, it's, that's, that's, <laughs> that's the epitome of stating the obvious. That's a, that's a hot take there, Pat. That's, that's, that's right. That's right. We're getting, not going to bury the lead on that one. But I mean, just seeing him in this and then realizing it's been three movies this year and three movies of him at the top of his game, like just fantastic falling into these roles or not falling into these roles. That was the wrong way to say it. Like, like disappearing into these characters, like bringing these, my gosh, that guy is just incredibly talented. So yes. It's it's just great watching him on on screen and you know and the whole cast. You mentioned Julia Roberts. I started to do this. The guy from the right stuff. The guy from Memphis Bell, who was also on Thirty Rock, not Thirty Rock. What was his name? Which one? Edit all this out because I'm just totally <laughs> blanking. Oh, that's who right. played the Who played his editor guy? Oh, yeah, John Lithgow. John Lithgow wasn't yeah. he in Thirty Rock or was that Third Rock from the Third, Sun? Rock, Third Rock from the Sun? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, all right. I, I, uh, I didn't watch it. It's okay. There's numbers. There's rocks. It's okay. There's numbers. There's rocks. And I, I think the two shows are completely different. I haven't even seen any of it, <laughs> but he's that guy. And like, he's amazing in anything he does. So, I mean, when those are the guys playing the co-starring roles, what's going to be incredible stuff. God, and, and I think the last time that he and Denzel were together, they were trying to kill each other in that movie Ricochet. Wasn't John Lithgow really? the John Lithgow was the the serial killer that got out of prison, and uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and then he was the 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 oddly European accented killer in Cliffhanger. Oh my god! Yes, thank yeah. you. Yeah. I could picture him in the helicopter, but the movie, not uh-huh. fun. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> ah, it doesn't matter. Pick out what what do you like? What movie title do you like? Yeah. Just pick one. Sylvester Stallone's nose on the mountain. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. No. Good stuff. Good movie. Yeah, I was Great trying movie. to. I was trying to look and see if there is another year where Denzel was as prolific as he was in '93, and there is not. <laughs> it is the only, at least based on IMDb, he is. It is the only year other than 91. 
Yeah, 91, he did three movies. Uh, mm-hmm. One was Mississippi Masala, one was Ricochet, and one was a, he did he did narrating for a video called Rabbit Ears Anansi. Mm-hmm. And that was 91. So I'm like, okay, well, I mean, that's, you got Ricochet and Mississippi Masala. Those are good. But 93, that's like you're saying, this is where he hits it out of the park because it's much ado about nothing. It's the Pelican Brief. He actually did, Rabbit Ears must have had a, a sequel to it because he narrated that one too in 93. So mm-hmm. he actually had four things in 93. But his his three things we know him, we know him most for are much ado about nothing, the Pelican Brief, and Philadelphia. So if those are the three movies you put out in one year, yeah, good lord, it's a good year. <laughs> I mean, just solid, solid year. Just uh, yeah. All right, all right. Let me try this one: Ditka or Denzel's ninety three. Ditka, Ditka. What if Denzel did a movie where he plays Ditka? Ditka. Ditka. <laughs> uh, the super fans. Yep. All right. It is time for three questions. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right. Let's see. Question number one. What is your favorite legal thriller movie? Hmm. That's a tough one. I went back and forth on a few of these. I enjoy it. Mine's this one actually is kind of easy for me. I'm going to go with runaway jury. Okay. I do. I really enjoy that one. It's, a, it's another John Grisham. Um, mm-hmm. It is Gene Hackman, John Cusack, Rachel Weiss, Dustin Hoffman. Gosh, who else is in it? Jeremy Piven is in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really enjoy that one. We, I feel like we watched that one when it came out. We might have even seen it in the theater. Yeah, we've we've watched that one several times. It's been a few years since I've actually watched it, so I, I may go back and, and rewatch that sometime soon. But, yeah, I just I don't know. I just really enjoy that one. That's it's a really good book. Okay. Really good book. And uh, yeah, it's a really good movie too. So, yeah. I like Devil's Advocate. Yes. Yeah. I think that might be mine. Okay. That is uh, yeah. I love that movie. Well, Al Pacino Al Pacino as the devil is always fun. Well, yeah, he was born (laughs) born to play that role. Yeah, please allow me to introduce myself. Uh I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very good. A very, very early Charlize Theron in that one too. Mm -hmm. I mean, in that respect, it's no reindeer games, but well, yeah, 
what is. Agreed. Yeah. I suppose we would get a lot of angry co-hosts emailing the show or calling or however they our co-hosts communicate with us if we don't mention 12 angry men. Yeah. Yes. That that was on my list. I the only reason I didn't put that one on was because I kind of I was trying to decide if I if I feel like that's a legal thriller or a legal drama. Good yeah, point. I had trouble Good with point. a couple of those. So I was, like if I was you're just kinda, talking legal movies, yeah. you could I mean I was I was kind of me personally I was going to let you guys if you picked it I was going to be yeah that's totally fine but I was kind of splitting hairs a little bit and I was like yeah if I if I just said legal movie then I'd probably say right. 12 angry men but if it's a legal thriller then I'm going to leave that one off to the side but I'll I'll if nobody else mentions it I'll mention it as a runner up so I'm I'm glad right. somebody at least threw it out there Yeah I, so for my and it, it just occurred to me but you're right it's like the way you the question is phrased I think I've got to go to the John Grisham bank as well. And the, my, my entry into John Grisham was we read a time to kill. We might've even read it in school. Oh. And it's interesting because I think a time to kill and boy, I might be wrong on this, but that, that one's almost a little bit different than his other books, just because that gets into not so much like, okay, you're dealing with a big corporation or like, necessarily just falling real into the courtroom legalese kind of drama, but it was more like a, is something morally correct, even if it was technically illegal. And I, I, that, that book, I really like that book. The movie's amazing. Mm-hmm. But if, but if I have to say like an absolute favorite one that, because I mean, just, I mean, there's just that, that it's, it's a hard story to, to say, Hey, I enjoy it. Doesn't necessarily fit. Right. The one that I really, I, I think it's the Rainmaker, right? And I, if oh, yeah. I'm correct, that's where he has the guy that, <laughs> the character, I love the character, but he never finished law school and he's not a paralegal and he just calls himself a paralawyer. And I think it was Danny DeVito played the paralawyer yes. in the Rainmaker. Is that, do I have this correct? Because it's been th- a while since I've seen it. I think so. Yeah, I know Danny DeVito's in that. I, I think that's correct. Okay. Yeah. I love the Danny DeVito character and that, that one I remember as being not lighthearted, but I mean, that that's wrong, but it was like the, the easiest one to say, Hey, I'm really enjoying this, you know, like it was fun. So I think I'd have to say the rainmaker. Okay. That's a good one. All right. Question number two. Who is your favorite film or TV journalist? Well, it's they're technically real journalists, but I do like the Woodward and Bernstein from All the President's Men. Yes. Yeah, those are good. I remember we watched that movie in school. And then something that I th- hope we're going to watch next year. I think we will given John's pension for journalism, mm-hmm. Henry Hackett from the paper. Yes, we will be watching that. I figured I can, I can guarantee that one. And I thought as much. Yeah. I don't know if we shared with the people yet, not to interrupt the three questions. I don't know if we shared with the, the general public yet that, that the list for next year, the voting list has been circulated among the co-hosts here. 
So it's it's that very special like podcast Christmas time of year. <laughs> I you said it before, Bo, but I, everybody when I when I mentioned that to Pat or I mentioned it to a couple of other people, I was like, yeah, the list is about ready, and everybody was like, man, Bo is going to be so pumped. I was like, wait, what? It's like, yeah, Bo loves it when that list comes out. I'm like, oh, really? Okay. Oh, I'm usually the first one to vote. The only I know reason you are. I yeah. The only reason I didn't was because I didn't want to do it on my phone because it's a pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I needed to be in front of the computer, and I was tonight. I got yeah. it done. There you go. <laughs> well, and I knew I knew you hadn't been feeling well lately, so I'm like, you know what? Let's let's get this out here. So we'll we'll cheer Bo up a little bit. And I appreciate there's, that. There you go. There it is fun. There's yeah, and it was one. I forget what episode it was, but it was maybe when we were talking about this year's movies. And Bo, the the way the way you enunciated what just how fun it is when that list come out you're like i love this is the greatest this is one of my favorite cases of the year and it was just like yeah man you are totally summing up right like exactly what we all feel when that list oh, yeah. comes out it's it's it is yes and it's so much fun to put i usually i'll start to put it together when i'm like huh i know i've got a bunch of other things i should be doing I'm going to do this instead because this makes me happy. Because this is more fun. <laughs> this this yeah. is a lot more fun. But that's I, when I go ahead and when I start to make that list, just to throw back the curtain a minute so so people know kind of how the list gets made before it gets sent out, is I've sent the list out to you guys, and we'll, we'll vote over the course of the next couple of weeks or so. Then anybody who's a Patreon co-executive producer, it'll get sent out to them. And then here in a little bit, maybe a month or so, um, or later this summer, then it kind of goes up on our website and anybody else has the opportunity to, to throw in a vote as well on some of the movies. But when I go make this list, I usually start by, and the list has like 150 movies on it. And, and I mean, in terms of the amount of episodes we do each year anyway, we hit maybe 45 of those out of 150. If we're, if we're lucky, we can probably get about 45 of those. Because with special episodes and other stuff, you know, we're, we're doing one a week. So we usually hit about 45. So typically when I'm making that list, I go through and I look at what the movie's made in the box office. And if the movie made more than $10 million in the box office, it immediately gets added to the list. Then I go back through and I'm like, okay, what made less than $10 million but is like a cult classic? Like people are like, yeah, you, you, it didn't make much money, but this is an awesome movie. So then I'll add those through. Then I start going and I start doing a bunch of searches for – what are the most underrated movies? What are the ones that people totally miss that they need to see from whatever year? And then I find some and I'm like, well, that sounds cool. So I start throwing those on the list as well. And then invariably I've missed something. So, and, and thank you, Pat, for adding Legend of Drunken Master to it because I missed that one. And then I have you guys add stuff to the list too. So there's a, there's a progression. So we try not to miss anything when putting this list together that we have more than enough options to vote from. But I know that because we, we've had some listeners in the past that'll be like, oh, man, you guys didn't do this movie. Why didn't you do this one? I'm like, well, because there's like a hundred and whatever awesome movies that came out this year and, and we're, we do a weekly show. So and, um, we, and we have full time jobs and we have full time jobs. So, I mean, when there's one hundred and fifty, a hundred, well, let's say out of those hundred and fifty, there's like a hundred movies, maybe, maybe, you know, worth doing a podcast recording on. And there's 52, there's 152 weeks a year, and but we don't do all the weeks with the... It was my understanding that there would be no math. <laughs> that's that's kind of... Indeed. That's kind of how it all works out, but... All right, so I all of that massive tangent, back to the favorite film or TV journalists. 
mine was was an easy pick because this is another show that I want to go back and rewatch because I really enjoyed it. And I've been seeing some little clips here and there, you know, people posting stuff on on social media. So my wife, we 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 really, really enjoyed The West Wing because it's an awesome show. Mm -hmm. And she was a political science major and was at one point in time had had considered heading to Washington, D.C. for a career. And so we, we love The West Wing for that reason. So she has The West Wing and I have The Newsroom. Mm -hmm. And I love the show, The Newsroom, and so my favorite TV journalist is going to be Will McAvoy from The Newsroom. Indeed. The opening monologue from that series. Oh. Yes. <sighs> <laughs> yes, and. Mm -hmm. So I, I know some people would have thought that maybe the obvious answer was was going to be, you know, Clark Kent or something like that, but... I, right. I find that in most of the in most of the iterations of Superman, he doesn't do a whole lot of journalisting. Right. You know, he's he's supposed to be a journalist, a, a great newspaper writer, but there's not a whole lot of investigative journalism going on. Mm -hmm. Just like how they often call Batman the Dark Knight detective and there's not a ton of detecting. Mm -hmm. So... That's okay, not to make Pat, Pat jump for joy. Yeah. But I think that's one of the things that sets the 1989 Batman apart, is there is a little yeah. bit more of that detecting happening than in some other right. iterations, let's right. say. Yeah. All right. Did we get, Pat, did you say yours? I haven't, and I, I, I maybe maybe I bent the rules a little bit. I picked okay. Joe Galloway from We Were Soldiers once and young. Okay. And so he's a wartime correspondent, journalist, and yep. so forth, and he co-wrote the book. So obviously he's a character in the movie, but he's also a real-life person. And I just think that the book that he co-wrote with General Moore is incredible, and I think – just his story and the situation he was in and you know how that all unfolded was just a pretty amazing and uh, humbling story. So I think that would be, that would be my pick. Okay. Nice. All right. And our final question, what is your favorite male female pairing of lead actors in a movie? Now this is hard. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the easy answer, because we just watched one, was Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Yeah. I mean, that's the first one that always comes to mind, but then you start to think about it for a minute. and like, ooh. Hmm. Chewie's parents from the Star Wars Christmas special are... Outstanding. <laughs> that's right up there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Yeah. John, did, yeah, hold, did, hold did on, just... hold on, hold on a second. Let me, I, I, my brain just <laughs> melted for a second. So let me, uh, let me play a sound that goes with what I'm thinking. That's extraordinary. What would you like to do next? <laughs> John, John, you look down off screen and I'm like, dude, did you just vomit? <laughs> That'd have been awesome if you, if you vomited on the podcast. No, no, this is not like Howard Duck levels of, of stuff, but. Duck boobs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not that. I mean, I'm just, 
I'm sure if somebody, if it hadn't been in the 70s, I'm sure somebody would have thought of that maybe. Uh, if, if they weren't currently owned by Disney, and if it wasn't the 70s when that was put out, I would imagine somebody would have gone the Wookiee route. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let the Wookiee win. I'm going to go because I think they've only done two movies together. And I love both of the movies, so for me, they're batting a thousand. Richard Gere and Julia Roberts. Solid choice. So I do, I do enjoy Pretty Woman, and I do enjoy Runaway Bride. I think those are both excellent, excellent Richard Gere, Julia Roberts movies. So for their two collaborations, at least in my opinion, they get a thumbs up for both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I, you know, I really keep coming back to Carrie Ann Moss and Keanu Reeves in the Matrix. I thought you, or might. I should see, yeah, the Matrices. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm a fan, so I'm not a critic. I love all the movies. I, they're they're fantastic, and just seeing their story, and I don't know if you everyone's seen all the way through, or if anyone has any intentions of watching all the way through all four of the matrices, but just seeing their characters and how they build and evolve those characters. I think, I think that's pretty amazing. And, and weird that those, and weird that those movies are named after the, the villain in this one, Victor matrices. I was going to say it's, it's someone say uncanny. Yeah. But I'm trying to think of, I'm definitely, it's definitely not canny. So, yeah, no, but I'm trying to think of someone else that, and it's a hard question, especially if you take it as they're frequently paired together, mm-hmm. right? Like Car- Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford were amazing in Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Harrison Ford and I forgot her name, our, our Marion Ravenwood's actress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are incredible in, hello, Raiders of the Lost right. Ark. Yeah. Uh, but it's hard because that's like one movie here and there, but like that where they're frequently put together. Yeah. You know, did Burt Reynolds and Sally Field do a lot together beyond, you know, I, that would have been, Bandit? that would have been one of my other choices. Cause I, they were, and I have not seen those movies in a long time, but that was, we watched that a bunch when I was a kid and I always remember that oh, being yeah. so much fun and the two of them being so good together, you know, off the top of my head, I don't know. I don't recall. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're they're great together. I mean, you, you could just about pair, I think you can just about pair Meg Ryan with anybody. Yeah. Uh, when she had her stretch of movies in the 90s. I mean, you could do the Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks. You could do Meg Ryan, Billy Crystal. Yeah. You know, you could do Meg Ryan, uh, uh, Chris Christopher Klein in French Kiss. You know, you could, oh. ba- you could pretty much match her up with anybody and it's probably going to be a good pairing. Yeah. And my gosh, if Jeff... Jeffrey, who we miss, Jeff, can't wait to record an episode with you again. If Jeff is listening to this, he's probably like punching a hole through something heavy. If we don't mention Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, oh, my God. Like, why did they, I'm almost like I'm still sick. Like, I love Carrie Ann Moss and Keanu Reeves. Like, I'm going to keep that together. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know how we could how we could not mention those two. Yeah. And did we say, did we have to say movies? 
no, because they, 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 they were they were in a couple of movies together too. There was one where they took this trip out west, and the whole gag was he was driving and she was in the trailer, and like all sorts of mayhem lets off and everything like that. But oh, okay, yeah, I oh my gosh, those two were amazing together. In fact, after watching what's it called, uh, WandaVision. I was really oh, yeah. hoping that I could segue that into, hey, let's watch some reruns of I Love Lucy, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, the one, because it's one of my favorite movies, that I, one of the other ones I would do would be the, you know, Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, which is a little bit of a sad story. Have you guys heard about that one, that he refused to work with her again after It's a Wonderful Life? Oh no! Because Why? initially the movie, even though it even though it was nominated for Oscars, it, the movie didn't necessarily do well mm-hmm. in the box office, and he for some reason he blamed her for the movie mm. not doing well. Mm. Like I, I don't know well, why. I don't recall exactly why. And later on, as the movie got to be popular, he 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 turned around and was like, "Oh yeah, she was great in that," but I guess initially. He refused to work with her again because he felt that she was the reason it was a flop. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of kind of sad. Yeah, because it was not. But okay. Yeah, I I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go and just like now I'm gonna start naming old sitcoms because now I'm thinking of Carol O'Connor, you know Archie Bunker and oh yeah, what was Archie's wife? Edith. Edith. Yeah. And then George and Wheezy from the Jeffersons. I mean, they were They were fantastic together. I mean, you think of those old shows and it's just like, my gosh, like when you look up performer chemistry in the dictionary, they got pictures of those, those shows, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. All right. Well, that is going to do it for our episode on the Pelican Brief. If you want to hear more of our episodes, head over to 30podcast.com, or you can find us on social media at 30podcast. We are halfway, about halfway through the month of June, which is our From Page to Screen month. Our Patreon episodes, if you're joining us over there, are Disney's Robin Hood from 1973. Patreon, which I believe is coming out maybe within a couple of days, after this episode comes out. Patreon short, the one that has already come out for the month, is Flashdance from 1983. Um, I have a slightly funny story about that one. We were in church on Sunday, and the first, I would say like the first six notes or so of one of the last songs we were singing, I was like, what a feeling. What a, wait a minute. Hold on. And it was. I feel like the first six or seven notes of whatever, and I, I'm blanking out on what song we were singing, but I'm standing there, I'm going, okay, nope, don't sing the wrong words. Don't sing the wrong words. Stay stay focused. You're in church. Stay focused. Lock um, it up. Yeah. <laughs> stay on target. Stay on target. <laughs> but I, I got to go back and look and see now, because I don't know if that was just like me having a brain fart and the, the song sounds absolutely nothing like it, or if I'm just like sitting there singing flash dance in the middle of church. 
And then our other Patreon short that will come out at the end of the or towards the ends of this the end of this month because I got to see the movie first is the Flash from 2023. So we'll do a quick Patreon short after seeing that one. Our regular episodes this month have been so far much ado about nothing, and that was last week. This week, obviously, the Pelican Brief. Next week is Shortcuts the Robert Altman movie based on the writings of Raymond Carver. And then we come back to another John Grisham as we finish out the month with The Firm. So a couple of legal thrillers this month. And then July, next month, is our Fun and Games month. Our Patreon episode will be 1953's From Here to Eternity. Our Patreon shorts will be War Games from 83 and Westworld from 1973. The regular episodes will be Cool Runnings, The Sandlot, Rookie of the Year, and Rudy. So got a lot oh, of boy. A lot of fun stuff. Oh, right? boy. Oh, boy. You doing all right, Ben? <laughs> I, that's an amazing lineup of movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, starting all the way back with From Here to Eternity. Yeah. Rudy, I'm going to need about 10 boxes of tissues to get through that movie. Okay. Well, you talking wanna, about that movie. You want to hear something shocking? I want to hear something shocking. I've never seen it. You're going to love it. Okay. Excuse me? I've never seen Rudy. Somehow that surprises me. It surprises me too. Many levels, actually. Yeah. Shocks the heck out of me. Oh. So. Start getting all misty eyed right now. It's an amazing movie. There's a lot of dust in your room. Yeah. Yeah. What do you know about the movie? Like, oh gosh, I have so many questions right now. Like, uh, I, I know Sean Astin, Notre Dame football. Huh. That's pretty much all I know. I'm so intrigued by this. Yeah. Because there's a, there's a lot in the zeitgeist about that movie both ways. That's I why know. I'm intrigued and, by and this. There's, and there's probably some stuff that when I watch the movie, I'm like, oh, that's where that's from. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I want to say, isn't that Happy Hogan's, like, first movie? Uh, I don't I, know. Like, because Swingers hasn't come out first yet, right? No. Yeah, because he's in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. Huh. Yeah, no, haven't seen it. You have me intrigued, sir. I don't, it's, it is a football movie, so I feel like I should have seen it, but I also, and I, I'll preface this by saying, growing up in our house, and I, this may lose us some, some listeners, I don't know, growing up in our house, we were, let's say, less than fans of Notre Dame. Oh, well, there's gonna, <laughs> and there's a little bit of that in the know. world, you know. There's gonna be a, there's gonna be. Well, I grew up Irish Catholic, so yeah. I mean, you know what I'm saying. So, but there's a, there's a scene after you watch it. There's just let's remember this because there's a okay. scene that it, it, I'm already getting. It is awesome. Yeah, like especially for you, just for the that reason. There's a scene that. It's kind of the antithesis of that. I okay. think it's really going to be fun to talk about. All right. And and I will specify that it has less to do with actual Notre Dame itself and more to do with who was the coach of Notre Dame back when my dad was watching all of his college football. Who is who, who do you not so like? So that would be pre-Lou Holtz, no, I'm it, guessing. It, it was Lou Holtz. Oh, okay. Because oh. Not a Lou Holtz fan, huh? Well, because, yeah, my dad was not a Lou Holtz fan because of when he was the coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks. Huh? And I believe there was at least one game or more in which he ran up the score on the Texas Longhorns, and my oh, dad, from Lou's, that point on, was not Lou, a fan. Lou's sort of known for that that little move. Yeah, so my dad never <laughs> liked him. So growing up in our house, we just knew that Lou Holtz was not a good guy, and because he happened to be the longtime coach of Notre Dame, we also did not like Notre Dame. 
Fair. So so I don't have anything against the school itself, and I don't have anything against the the current Notre Dame team. I just know that growing up in our house, it was they were not the preferred team. They were less than the preferred team. We'll put it that way. Understood. So, like I said, just there's going to be a scene that we're going to have to talk about then. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, we will see you back here next week for shortcuts. Actually, it's episode four seventy five. So, a little teeny tiny milestone for us. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll see you back here next time for shortcuts. Thank you both. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Great seeing you, Bo. Great to see you, Patrick. All right, everybody, be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies, and we'll see you back here next time.